Uh, good morning, Trinity. I hope you're well. This isn't my first time to Trinity. In fact, I was reflecting on the fact last time Tracy and I were here at Trinity was the 21st of March 2020. And that date's quite reminiscent because two days later, everything closed. So I'm hoping the impact of today's visit <laughs> won't be quite so profound on the church or the local area. So um, it's a real honour and privilege to uh, share the word uh, with you this morning, um, and been given the theme of fruitfulness on the front line and the small hand grenade of messenger of the gospel. Messenger of the gospel. I wonder what that means to you. And I'd like to invite Tim and Andrew, because I'd like to give a demonstration of perhaps, for some of you, what it might mean. Nice to see sorry, you. Sorry, a bit there. Yeah, so, so you're Bruce. Uh, yes, I'm Bruce. Uh, yes, yeah. yeah. And, and, and what makes you think that you'll be any good for the job? Um, well, I've got many talents. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse um, me. Well, Excuse me, uh, Mr. Grew. Yeah. Uh, Ten o'clock. Yeah. Uh, got an appointment with you about the job? Uh, y- yes, but I'm just uh, trying, to, trying to finish up here. Yeah, but it's ten o'clock. Are you not a man of integrity, uh, of honour? A man of your word, Mr. Groot? Some might say that. Uh, I... Uh, well, oh, well, I'm looking, you know, it's 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock, we said... Uh, uh, Bruce, this is a bit embarrassing. I'm really sorry. Thanks so much. We'll let you know. We'll let you know. Yeah, yeah. Come yeah. on, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Look forward to hearing from yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> good, good luck, if, you know. Australian name. Right. <sighs> right. And, um, Mr. Groove, yes, hello. hello. And, and your name, please? Uh, Ian Cornelius. Cornelius, as in Acts chapter 10. Uh, he was the first Gentile convert. And Ian Cornelius, uh, a name that's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, Mr. Groove. Um, right. But not my only name. Uh, in fact, the book of Revelation tells us that I have a stone yeah. with my name written only that I and right. God know. Right, R- Thank you. I uh, just wanted your You're name. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And uh, let's try date of birth. Ah, 14th of January 1990. 1990? Yes. You're quite a young looking man, but not 33. Oh, so this is the day that I gave my life to Jesus. I was born again and became a new creature in Christ Jesus. I was no longer a sinner. I was saying, are you a sinner, yeah. Mr. Groom? Yeah. Well, I'm the one asking the questions. Oh. Um, um, shall we try, I don't know, national insurance number? Uh, national insurance You see, whilst I live in this nation and I obey the laws, I'm not really part of this world. I'm part of a heavenly world. The new heavenly Jerusalem that will come down, come down from heaven. And as for insurance, uh, well, sir, I'd like like to think I live by faith and Mm. don't require that insurance. But anyway, the number's uh, uh, 15078. I'm sorry to cut you off there, uh, Mr. whatever your name was, Cornelius, uh, but actually the position's been filled. Oh, well, well hey, hey, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. I sense the enemy at work here. <laughs> yeah. Are you blocking the path of God, Mr. Grew? Are you standing um, in God's way? Are you the agent? It's conceivable, of the but enemy? I'm going to take this path right now. Thank you very much.
For those of us of any introverted nature whatsoever, when we hear messenger of the gospel, to some degree, we picture this. Is this what we're supposed to be doing? Because when it becomes fruitfulness on the front line, you can't have fruitfulness on the front line without there first being fruitfulness on the front line. That's an oxymoron, isn't it? I don't believe, and in my experience, and I was born again on the 14th of January 1990, uh, that you can have fruitfulness on the front line, as is, as is described in the book, without first having fruitfulness and bearing fruit on the front line. Could I have the first scripture up, please? Because the message I really feel God laid on my heart and the message that I've tried to embrace in my walk with Jesus for 30 odd years is you are the message. I am the message. What we do, what we say, how we treat people. It didn't matter what I said to the wonderful HR manager, Mr. Grew, because my rudeness and obnoxiousness had destroyed any hope of building a testimony about God's faithfulness long before I started bombarding him with various scriptures. Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he says, you yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. And as we seek to serve God, and as we seek to please him and share our faith, know this, that you are known and read by everyone. So this morning, for the next two hours, no, for ne- I will be sharing a little bit about my story, and I want to be talking about the fact that we are the message, and how that has impacted my life and has brought about change. I have done a job interview that wasn't dissimilar to that. I went for a sales job, and I was, well, let's start with, radically saved in 1990, delivered from gambling and lots of other things, and boy, I was transformed, changed, excited, which can be a real blessing as a young Christian, but also a bit dangerous as well, and not necessarily in a good way. So having, and at the time, um, uh, Tracy and I were married and I was working in the glamorous location of the shop floor of a rubber factory in in Wiltshire. It's important to state that I have no business qualifications. I haven't been to university. I am not well connected, after all, Wiltshire. Uh, (laughs) Name name all the famous people who have come from Wiltshire. It won't take you long. We'll, We'll finish now. But I got an insight, which isn't for today, but I got an insight in, in trying to in, uh, use kingdom principles in the workplace, and in particular, how to walk in the blessing of God. And I got a revelation of that. Not for today, another day. But from then, my career really moved on. And I got a sales job. I managed to find one that didn't pay any bonus or commission. That wasn't very clever. But I got a sales job. And then in 94, got a job working for uh, an adhesives company up in the Midlands. 
And to cut a long story short, this uneducated, non-connected person between 1994 and 2008 went up the ranks and in 2008 began leading the business as sales and marketing director and then in 2015 became managing director. In the time of leading the business, God was gracious enough to grow the business fourfold, to grow the bottom line 25-fold, and we sold last year for over 100 million pounds. But doing so without compromising integrity, without doing it on the backs of the workers, and I'm going to give you some examples about that later. So I've experienced from the shop floor up to senior leadership and the leadership position. My experience is quite broad, having been a salesperson, having worked in business, I've met lots of business people, some Christian ones. My experience of business leaders and people in business in general identifying as Christians has been poor. In some cases, worse than the world. So the question I have is we can be a messenger of the gospel with our words, but have our actions destroyed any possibility of that seed landing on good soil? Because I believe the fruit that needs to come first is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That is the fruit on the front line we need first before we then sow that word in season. And I can show you that, and I'd like to show you that this morning, from Scripture. John 4.38, Jesus talking to his disciples says, Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus, the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. If we can lift that, leave that slide up. So the thing I'm asking is, who's the others? Here's Jesus, he's talking to the uh, disciples, he's about to send them out, and he says, you're going to go and reap, and others have done the work. Those of us, as we live in an agricultural country, county even, will be familiar with the fact that harvest isn't a particularly long period, and especially with modern technology, a week maximum. But actually, all the work that goes on before that is 50 weeks of work. So who... Is he referring to in the other angels, perhaps? Pharisees, Sadducees? I believe he's talking about us. I believe he is talking about the people that we rub shoulders with. You see, we read that and we think about the disciples and we think, oh, well, you know, um, they had to go and harvest. We've got to go and harvest. Well, if we think about it, Jesus was starting the church. If you're going to pick 12, they better all be evangelists, otherwise you're not going to have a very big church. If you look at the, apostle, the, the apostolic fivefold ministries, typically in the disciples, there's the apostle and there's the evangelist at work, because that's what was necessary. 
It doesn't necessarily mean that's our job. And yes, I take my hat to every evangelist that's called. But there's other work to be done, as there is in the farm. The sowing, the fertilizing, the watering, the nurturing of the crop. All of that has to happen before the harvest. And as a new Christian, you get told, well, you need to go out there and share the good news. So, praise God, I went out and shared the good news. Can we have Matthew 5, 13, please, which is the next scripture? Jesus said that we are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Take those two scriptures together. It's now been demonstrated as a biological fact that we as creatures need natural light. It boosts all kinds of systems within us and helps maintain our mental well-being and our biochemical structure. Typically, we need light about 12 hours a day. God knew what he was doing, wasn't he, when he put the Garden of Eden on the equator? He didn't put it at the North Pole. Did you notice that? He put it, he put it near, the, near the middle of the Earth where, where there's lots of light. Light is also necessary for the ripening of the harvest. And I'm sure you will have heard in your walk that when we're talking about salt and light, light is who we are and what we do, and salt is what we say. So let's think about it for a minute. So light needs to be around us all the time, but we don't need salt. We need it, but do we need it all the time? We need it in very specific moments. And I have to say, when I first got saved, I was very salty. <laughs> and whatever you wanted, salt was the answer. If I had been of a gastronomic persuasion, you would have got salt in everything. Tea, coffee, ice cream. Mind you, they put salt, salty caramel, what's that about? But anyway, that's, a, that's another thing for another day. But I was giving salt, which is designed to cleanse, isn't it? It's designed to heal. Um, it's designed to, to season. It's designed to preserve. But we don't need it all the time. Since you've been here, I'd wager no one's had to consume some salt during the last hour and a half, two hours. We, have, we need it on very specific occasions. But as I said, when I was a new believer, salt was coming, whatever, whatever the problem was, salt was the answer. And whilst we feel we may have the right intention, we want to please God, we want to share the word, do you know we can do more harm than good? A lot of the business people I rub shoulders with, the ones who swore like troopers, the ones who welched on their debts, the, the ones who broke their word, the ones who um, broke agreements, it would have been better had they not confessed their faith and kept quiet. Because as soon as we stick our heads above the parapet that we know Jesus, 
The magnifying glasses and microscopes are coming out. We may as well get used to it, because that's what's going to happen. Because there's a hurting world out there looking for answers. They actually want to see something that's real. Something that works. Look at the crisis we've got in mental health and well-being. In this country, never mind the rest of the world. People want an answer. And we have the answer. But are we disqualifying the answer by, the, by who we are? I made some terrible errors as I started my walk with the Lord. And by his grace and mercy, still survived. I went to a job interview for a sales job. And I sat down and the, and the, and the sales manager, but I didn't really take to initially, uh, said, um, sell me something. Sell you something? Yeah, sell me something. Okay, if you're a salesperson, you really hate that question because it's just like the lazy sales manager's question. Well, what do you want me to sell you? Sell me something you believe in, something you're passionate about. Oh, dear. That was, <laughs> that was not... So, bless him, he got 30 minutes of gospel uphill, down dale, and um, at the end of which he said, mm, thank you, Ian. I can see you're very passionate about this subject. We'll let you know. Uh, I don't think you need a word of wisdom or knowledge to know that, uh, whether I got that particular job or not. When we're trying to portray ourselves as super spiritual, do we actually overdo it? I remember when I was first saved, Tracy's sister asked me to help her move house. And I said, I'll go away and pray about it. What? <laughs> you're trying to introduce God, but you're making yourself look like God, look like some kind of not heavenly father. And then when you start, I started in this new company in 94, and you feel there were two Mormons working there and the Jehovah's Witness. I need, it. I need, I need to stamp my Colors to the mark. Now my colors to the mark. So I'm going to I'm going to show them what Jesus is really about and and how these people have got it completely wrong. And I think in the first two months I must have shared the gospel with just about everybody in the company, whether they wanted it or not, asked for it or not, they were getting it and they got it. And with many of my customers, many of my customers, to the point where I'm, I am quite surprised I didn't get called in and, and uh, someone had a word with me about uh, you're here to sell um, glue, you're not here to sell uh, that. I remember sat in the, uh, we used to go, so I was a sales guy, and we used to have technical people working alongside us. It was quite a technical product. I remember I was out one day, and, um, and uh, his name's Daryl, and Daryl got in the car next to me. And I said, how are you? I said, the devil's trying to give me a cold, but I'm resisting him. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> what are we hoping to gain from that? Just because we've got the right intention? Have you heard the phrase, the, hell, the road to hell is paved with good intentions? So what, what, am I, what am I doing? And what are we doing? Fortunately, the grace of God may, means that he can deal with our errors. But as I said, we're put under a magnifying glass, not about what we say, but about who we are. And in business and in the workplace, whatever your front line happens to be, there's huge challenges around every corner. Integrity challenges. Are you going to gossip about the bosses? Have you seen what they've done? Have you seen what they've done? Have you seen the pain rise they've offered us? Are we going to grumble and be in rebellion? Are we going to go with that flow? With the coarse joking around the water cooler? With the mickey taking that we call 
banter, where we're bringing people down, or we're going to try and be Jesus in the workplace. This is not somebody who's saying, hey, you lucky fellows and ladies, listen to me. I'm saying, learn from my mistakes. Because I think in my earlier years, I did far more harm than good. I wasn't even neutral. That's a dangerous thing. It's not about being where you didn't do any harm, as you didn't do any good. Yeah, but it'll do harm. Am I actually putting people off? I don't want to be like that. I find it interesting that when we go shopping to buy underwear at Marks and Spencers, that's the time where somebody, bless their heart, thinks it's the most appropriate moment to shout that I'm a sinner, I'm going to hell, across the, across the shopping centre on a Saturday morning. Whether the message is true or not, there is no relationship built. Is that attractive? Is that what the world is looking for? Do you know they're looking for love? They're looking for wholeness. They're looking for healing. They're not looking for condemnation. That's the Holy Spirit's job anyway. He convicts. We're not the convictors. Although sometimes, certainly I felt (laughs) that I operated as if I was. And when we do walk like Jesus, it's amazing what opportunities come along. Remember, a customer said, Ian, I've noticed you don't swear. Why is that? Ah. So here's an opportunity to gently share my, my story. When we're sharing Jesus with others, I think we should just stick to our story. One, we know it. Two, it's real. And it cannot be contradicted rather than wanting to get into an eschatological discussion about end end times, or whether I'm a creationist, or a young earth, or old earth. That's what Paul got caught in, in Athens, and got nowhere. He chose to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. But But as a leader, it becomes even more difficult, because you're now set in the scene. And in a world which is money mad... Jesus talked about the fact that you can't serve God and money. I can tell you probably for the time I was managing director of, of the company in question, I was pro- mostly backslidden in that time because the pressure to conform and to live according to the world is immense. Don't, un- don't underestimate it. In fact, in a managerial leader position, it's even more. So, I've, it's my experience. However... The integrity still matters. So how do we show that? How can we become that letter from Christ? Or as 1 John 2, 6 says, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Jesus didn't have trouble attracting people because he was the love of God and people were just drawn to him. Is that who we are? Is that the people who say, there's something different about you. Can you you explain what that is? Because when the Holy Spirit's working with us and we're working with him, it's really easy. You're not trying to hammer... You've heard the the scripture that says, make the most of every opportunity. I think sometimes we just hear, make every opportunity. Whether you see one or not, you've got your sledgehammer, you've got your... The word is described as a sword of the Spirit, isn't it? I can't be walking around just waving my sword around as I walk around in life. That would look ridiculous. So how did that look? as a leader of the business. 
Well, firstly, it helped us establish the values. Our values were care, safety, and trust. And we absolutely live by those values. That was one thing I was determined to do. We are going to live in a, in a way of high integrity, where the people in the business come first and I come last. So we do things for them that we wouldn't do for myself. And when we're making decisions of the business, the people come before customers, before profits, and before me. And in that time, from 2015 to 2022, the lowest paid person at, at uh, Apollo went from £6.50 an hour and the, and the time I left last year were £12 an hour because we're going to grow and succeed together as one group following these values. And they knew. Trust me, I think everybody who started the business said, watch out for Ian, he's a, he's a, he's a Christian. And when I say Christian, I mean Christian. So people didn't, didn't swear in front of me, and if they did, they apologised. I don't say that for any, but, but everybody knew where I was coming from. But then the rubber hits the road when it's going to cost you something. So I was massive on safety. I wanted no one to leave the company that I ran in a worse condition than they came. That was, and everybody got that on the first day they came from me. I would do the inductions and I would talk people through that. And I was the, the goggle supervisor. <laughs> Woe betide you if I caught you not wearing goggles. You get one pair of these, you don't get another pair. When they've gone, you're at it. And I remember walking through the shop floor one time and I realised I didn't have my goggles on. <laughs> I didn't have my goggles on. Right, uh, I don't think anyone's seen me, so I quickly dashed out that part of the factory where you had to wear them. Okay, what am I going to do now? Because yeah, people probably didn't see me. If you got a verbal warning, you lost that quarter's bonus. Whoever was got a verbal warning lost their bonus because they were endangering themselves and, and the lives of the other people. By the way, apologise for walking to and fro, but you're watching Wimbledon tennis left and right. It's, <laughs> it's, it's all the same. But I chose to report myself to HR because integrity really matters. And if we're setting the standard... We should live by that standard, not as many leaders do. Set the rules. Yeah, they're for other people, other folks. Won't name any names. Well, well, well publicised in the last two years. And that would have cost me over £10,000 had it gone to verbal warning. Because I had an unblemished record, I got a strike from HR. I just left it with them. I didn't influence them. What did that mean? Well, it didn't mean anything except when some of my senior leaders got into trouble, they did not expect any favouritism, they did not get any favouritism, and everybody was treated with fairness. What does that do? That builds up such a high level of unity and trust, Psalm 133, how lovely it is when people work together in unity, that we were phenomenal. That is what delivered the success of the business. It came because of people working together with a common goal, feeling valued, feeling they were making a difference, feeling them getting cared for and listened to by everybody in the business. I remember what someone said to me, do you know what they are doing in this company? I said, but they is me. There's no they. <laughs> if someone's making a decision you don't like, that stops with me. There's no mythical they out there making these uh, decisions. So when I left in July last year, um, and um, they kindly gave me a... Glad to see the back of him um, uh, party. No, it didn't. But what they did say 
But what I did say at the end is, right, guys, I'm going to make you feel uncomfortable. Get ready for it. I thank the people that have been really helpful to the business. I said, but I need to give praise and glory to God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. Because without him, I would have been wholly different to work for and not in a good way. There were people there who I would say were very hostile to anything of faith. But through rubbing shoulders with me for a period of time, and now more open to the things of God. I had a dour, elderly Lancastrian businessman write an email to me, who I dealt with for a number of years, to let me know, just letting you know, Ian, um, this week I was fully baptised and immersed in water. Now, that's not down to me, but what I can think about is if I had been a lying, two-timing, sweary person who claimed to know Jesus, would that have impacted him negatively? We're not all called to harvest, but we are called to help prepare the harvest. So just because you're not browbeating somebody on, or somebody doesn't fall at your feet and say, I'm a sinner, help me repent, doesn't mean that our conduct and who we are isn't impacting a life every day. You can impact a life every day with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And everyone's going to love you. Or are they? <laughs> Next scripture. Last scripture. We're in the home run. I expect England are all out by now anyway. One pin, one pin. Oh, I followed English cricket for 32 years. I might have faith in Jesus, but in English batsmen, I do not. I confess. Do you think the Lord hears intercessory prayers coming up from Australia and England and goes, oh, it must be the ashes again? <laughs> 1 Peter 2.12, 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and the exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your own soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So this is addressed to people who are living such good lives among the pagans, though they accuse you of doing wrong. Just because you're going to live right doesn't mean accusations don't come. And that has been my experience. The more you live for God, the more the enemy doesn't like it. And those who are more under his control than others really don't like it. As my sales director says, I don't understand why you, you, there's a list of people who really don't like you, Ian. I mean, really don't like you. Customers, former colleagues, I mean, they hate you. And I don't, but I'm looking at you and I don't quite, oh, I do. I do. Because we are the light that shines. And that brings a consequence. Last autumn, um, I had the dubious pleasure of going to court and sitting in stand, no city we sit in the witness box you know where, where prince harry is i'm very familiar with that court at the end of a nine-year court case where we were accused of wrongdoing and culminated uh, four years ago in the customer concerned writing me a memorable email um, uh, where he chose to slaughter my character and integrity in no uncertain terms. Previously, I'd employed um, 
the son of a managing director. When I first became sales manager, I was encouraged and I was happy to employ his son. And four years later, that ended badly um, with his son walking out. And you can imagine the managing director, I knew I wasn't going to be his favourite person over it because I wanted integrity. I'm not going to create a favourable position for your son against everybody else in the business. I'm going to stand for what's right. And, and having different rules isn't right, so I'm not going to have that. And I appreciate if you don't want me in the business now because of that, okay, that's your call. But I'm not bending over this. And he wasn't a man of faith yet. He went to the trouble of looking up scriptures with which to attack me on a one-to-one -one meeting and called me a Pharisee and said that I'd walk by the other side of the road unless his son, the, uh, who, and I should have been the good Samaritan. That why professionally he respected me? Personally, I was in the gutter. Now that's when the rubber hits the road, folks. Because when things are going well, it's relatively more straightforward to be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. But when accusations come and they're unjust and they're wrong, how should we respond? What should our response be? And I'm not saying this because I was perfect in my response. I absolutely wasn't. But I did walk into one of my colleagues and uh, when this managing director thing was going, I said, you know what I'm going to do about this managing director? He said, what are you going to do Ian? I said, I'm going to forgive him. You're going to forgive Yeah, I'm going to forgive him. He said, that will drive him nuts if you do that. <laughs> Because if we are still on the front line and we are obeying what God calls us to do, if people come against us, dear friends, we should ask for mercy and forgiveness. Because I have seen people come against me and other believers and things go terribly, terribly wrong subsequently. It's a, it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So even though they may accuse you of doing wrong, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Is that he visits us in a Holy Spirit revival sense, or whether that's when he visits us um, at the end of the age, I don't know. But at some point, someone will say, I'm glorifying God because of the way these people were, and you were. So when we come under that attack, and is an attack, we don't need to run around shouting we're attacked. We need to ask for mercy, and grace and not respond. The court case ended in, in fact, it ended in December and the people attacking us had to withdraw in the end because they knew they couldn't win. It cost them five and a half million pounds. So it matters. And I still pray for that person because his daughter came to know Jesus. So you always see what's going on behind the scenes. Try to see what's going on behind the scenes. So as I said, we develop care for people and, and um, safety and trust. We increase the minimum wage. We improve safety. We put the staff first. Do you know that's just good, good business? You're not sacrificing anything you're doing in, in any organization by acting with good faith, being a person of your word, having a high level of integrity, applying it to everybody, including yourself, making sure you're put in the interests of the people who are serving you, ahead of the customers, always a believer of that, customer is not king. The people who are serving, who are serving, they're the people who come first. I went to see, we had a million pound customer that we went to see and said, we don't want to do business with you anymore because you're horrible to our staff. That was a fun meeting. <laughs> what was incredible was, that subsequently I 
I know I've got um, somebody who knows this business, said they had concocted a whole different story about why, why you were doing something underhand and you were going to do this, that, and the other, rather than face the fact that you were deeply unpleasant and we didn't want to deal with you anymore. Million pound account, we just stopped trading with them in the space of three months. Because, and when you do that, are your team members and the people serving you, are they going to quit and go to another job that's paying 20p an hour more? Are they going to say, actually, I feel cared, I feel valued, it's just good business. I find it extraordinary that the world goes in this devious, quick-win, deceiving way when actually God knows what he's doing. If we build it like you build the kingdom, then God can really get involved. So I will start, finish as I started. We have an awesome responsibility but rather think about being a messenger on the front line. Think about you are the message. You are the message. Your story is also the message. It's an awesome responsibility. But without that fruit on the front line, there can be no other fruit on the front line.